All right, my dad is on a, a time limit here, so we're gonna we're gonna. Oh dive really? In. Oh yes. really? Mister Mister No Show last week. <laughs> I, the, the roommate, the roommate re, who does all the the tech in the house and everything. Uh-huh. He he redid all of the streaming and all of the the cable and everything, and he said no, nobody watches HBO anymore. So he got rid of it and got Disney Plus instead. So I went oh. to go watch it. It's like where the fuck did the HBO go? And that. Oh. So it took me until Monday to get HBO back, and now I've got it on my laptop, and we're so fine. how old's your roommate there? Like, 19? What's no. going on there? <laughs> oh, he's, he's 40. He's 40. Seven. <laughs> he swapped out HBO for, for Disney+. Disney Plus. Plus. Get this HBO bullshit out of here so I can watch The Mandalorian. High That's school right. musical, the musical, the series, yeah. the series, the series. Yeah. Yeah, my, friend, <laughs> my friend Tim is the showrunner on that. That's just, I, I, oh. I still, can't, still can't bring myself to watch it, but there we are. <laughs> no, 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 and the media that he uses to control the world is television. Club on the Count the Dings Network, a nuanced discussion about television that captures our imaginations. I'm your host, Anthony Mays, and today I'm joined by Jake Hoy, Eden Liu, and Walter Mays. Papa Mays is back! This week we're coating our clothes in reflectatine and eating beans straight from the can with an episode that focuses on Wade Tillman, aka Looking Glass. It's episode 5, Little Fear of Lightning. This is a quote from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. If there was no thunder, men would have little fear of lightning. Another reference as a title that beautifully sums up this episode. In a show that's had some tremendous opens, some tremendous episodes, this might be my favorite sequence, this cold open. It's November 2nd, 1985 in Hoboken, New Jersey. Young Wade Tillman is fresh off a bus from Tulsa with his fellow Jehovah's Witnesses to spread the word of Christ to the sinners at a local carnival. Tick-tock, Wade, says the Elder. Jake is the Elder 7th Cavalry. Well, I'm, I'm guessing by the logic we've discussed before about maybe not. Tick-tock is a Watchmen theme. It will continue to pop up. There's ticking in scenes. People say Tick-tock. They're always on the clock in this show. Yep. Howard Jones, things can only get better plays. And we see a group of top knots make fun of young Wade. A girl takes pity on him and leads him into the Hall of Mirrors. She seduces little Virgin Wade and strips him naked as the sax riff from George Michael's careless whisper plays in the background (laughs) before running out with his clothes and saying, fuck you, Bible boy. Right at this moment, as Wade looks at his own naked body, the dimensional incursion event happens. The mirrors shatter all around him and he nakedly emerges to catastrophic death in front of the atomic wheel that looks like Dr. Manhattan's symbol. 
As Wade screams, the camera zooms out, perfectly framed by the gaping clown mouth entrance to the House of Mirrors. We go all the way to Manhattan and actually get to see the squid. Yeah, it delivered on every level, that opening. I mean, it was such an insight into into Wade, uh, young Wade, and the character that 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 skinny guy did such a great bit of acting with all of that. It plugged in the holes about what we needed to know about the, the incident um, and how it's affected that basically he's a post-traumatic stress disorder guy from, from the era. And, uh, and then it just lets us see the thing that the, the Zack Snyder movie didn't show us was the giant octopus. And it was, it was a brilliant effect. I loved it. It reminded me a lot of, us the opening to us where the little girl goes into the hall of mirrors uh-huh. yeah. yeah yeah totally yeah good call and is replaced by her double yeah it also kind of looked like the deuce it looked like the set of the deuce very much reminded me of the deuce 1985 new york that was a funny thing because Initially, I thought it was going to be Times Square. There's more Easter eggs in this scene alone than the rest of the episodes. We'll get to those later. I turned this on and I was just so impressed. I was dazzled. And once again, just another thrilling episode of Watchmen is underway. This transitions directly into an advertisement promoting New York tourism, which has been greatly affected since the DIE. Central Park is empty. And we go to Michael Imperioli playing himself, HBO recycling program in full effect in this episode. Yeah. <laughs> you know how we like our squid now? Lemon and the little marinara. <laughs> the desperate slogan is, come back. <laughs> and I, and I, I could not get over the fact that they're still running this 30 years later. Yeah. People are not going to New York. As we learn in the rest of this episode, the effects of the D.I.E., are way stronger than anticipated. It's not just the the people that died that day, but it affects pretty much the whole world. And I think it's an interesting explanation for why this show is based in Tulsa. You know, that was one of the questions I asked earlier on is like, why Tulsa? It's because New York is not what it used to be. It is not the same type of place in this world. Yeah. And also... It was devastating to New York City, right? It was it was two million people, three million, three million. So uh, that's mass destruction. Yeah, yeah, far greater than nine eleven. We learn that Wade uses his skill set to consult for focus groups, and then he drives to a storage space, gets his mask, and switches vehicles. Lori belittles their operation. As she addresses the the assembled policemen and sends everybody in pursuit of the cavalry's church, Red Scare and Panda don't know the difference between Catholic, Baptist, and Episcopalian. <laughs> and Red Scare is munching on a sandwich with lettuce that he took from the evidence <laughs> that fell out of the the cavalry truck. Well, it was going to spoil. Come on, <laughs> how is it not spoiled already? <laughs> That's what I was wondering. Yeah, how many days has gone by? How long has this lettuce just been sitting in the department? Are we only three days in? I Yeah, I think we're only three days in. I don't oh, think okay. time has tra- uh, passed, passed at all. Angela is urgently putting the pressure on Wade to find out about the pills. I love how they put the cactus prominently in the shot while we, yeah. we cut to Wade's face. Lori brings Wade into Judd's office. And he says that regulations say to keep the masks on inside the police department. 
Lori keeps calling him Mirror Guy, which is perfect given his origin story. She reads his file, learns that he was there, asks if he's still scared of the D.I.E. We learn that Wade joined the force after the White Knight, so I was wrong about that. But now I'm really curious who else survived the White Knight, because we know there is that third person. Yeah. Mm. And he said he joined because justice needed to be applied. Which is a very Rorschach type of ethos. We learn that his mask is made out of reflectatine, which offers guaranteed protection from psychic blasts, and that Lori bugged the cactus on his desk. Don't take it personally. I'm FBI. We bug shit. Yeah. <laughs> we just bug everything. Another great slogan after, come back. <laughs> oh, God. So she knows about the pills, but Wade is being very tight-lipped here and doesn't give away anything. We go home with Wade. He's still getting his ex's mail. He gets a catalog from Extra Dimensional Security. And we see that the inside of his Tulsa Tornado hat is lined with the reflectatine as well, so he never takes his mask off, really. They're essentially making him out to be a tinfoil hat-wearing conspiracy nut, is what they're making him out to be. Yeah, big time. Yeah, interesting. Literally wearing the tinfoil. <laughs> Literally wearing the tinfoil hat, right. This comes up later, but it's that's exactly what it is. Right. Yeah. Well, the thing that this show keeps doing is puts us in the position as a viewer where people can hold these very divergent opinions and attitudes and they can be right at the same time. That's, that's a real hallmark of the way this show is written. You know, seventh cavalry may very well turn out to be right. You know, it's where I've been for a few episodes now, but there's a couple wrinkles coming up in this episode that, that asked more questions. So Wade eats beans straight from the can, just like Rorschach. They're not even trying to hide it this time. And he watches Hooded Justice plow Captain Metropolis from behind in the latest American <laughs> Hero story. But they don't let us know that it is. There's no titles or anything. We just jump straight into porn. I yeah. thought he was watching really weird, you know, superhero <laughs> porn. I thought it was, too. <laughs> oh, my God. What is this? That was my first thought. And my second thought is, where can I get some? Well, my, my first thought was... So everybody in Tulsa is watching this right now. Yeah. Like, like Angela's husband and children are sitting on the couch eating their dinner, watching this too. Well, you know, this it's those, network television. Well, but it's those damn liberals. You see, it's 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 Redford and what thirty five years of Redford's lax. Oh yeah, I bet that's exactly what they're trying to say with it. Yeah, we can show butt fucking on TV. Not a big deal. It is rated X. I think it finally earned the rating in this episode. <laughs> oh, good. I'm glad. <laughs> An alarm sounds. He runs to his bunker to deactivate it. It keeps going off, and he eventually rips out the wires on a console in his bedroom. He calls customer service to complain. Extremely relatable moment here. Who hasn't <laughs> called their cable company to ask why they can't get their American Hero story on television or asked why who, who deleted the HBO from the Roku? Exactly. Why don't they have HBO anymore? We learn that he runs drills a little too often and requests a new unit rushed overnight and another roll of Reflectatine. Then he sleeps in the bunker on his couch. Rolls his mask down over his eyes as some enchanted evening plays. And this is just, this is a very grim scene. 
It was. It broke my heart. Tim Roth is Tim Blake Nelson. Oh, Tim Blake Nelson. <laughs> he is superb in this. He is just. He is such a good actor in this thing. Um, and the only thing I can remember seeing him in before was Oh Brother Where Art Thou. I don't yeah. remember doing yes. anything else. But Jesus, he's good in this. Tim Roth is a funny comp, though. Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> all those Tims—they're the same. You to see me. them, but they're kind of similar in build and yeah. even look of it. Yeah. You see Roth looking like that. But they just they just make him out they make him out to be such a pathetic loser who is just so controlled by his fears and doesn't seem to have a, a grasp of, of what's real and what's not. Because at this point in the episode, you know, I'm still I'm still uh, Yeah, absolutely. For the man who's supposed to be able to discern truth. Right. It's quite a complication. Was there anything you guys made out of him staring at the bunk beds was that maybe supposed to be for children that he was maybe going to have or something if this was the bunker that he had when cynthia lived with him when they were in the bunker they would be in the bunk beds that's what i would have guessed okay just the two of them so it it was just him thinking about cynthia yeah because they lingered that that shot lingered on the beds and i was like something's going on here also i was like she's missing he's got a bed in the house He's got two beds there, but he's sleeping on the couch. He's got no alarm. He's got no alarm. He has to stay in the bunker. Well, and there were a lot of allusions to his loneliness in this episode. Yeah, I don't have... isolation, his separation from everybody. That's why, you know, the opening and then the way they get him later is so sad. Yeah. Smash cut to a smiley face on a box of smiley O's. The kids are taste testing, and they say, it tastes like nothing. <laughs> when Wade gets beeped by Cynthia, his ex-wife, who works at a pet cloning lab, Eden, this lab features a lot of identical twins as employees, or are they? <laughs> that was a very interesting scene. It It's kind of crazy because I think about that technology all the time, but I was devastated when she put the little clone puppy that was too small into the little incinerator and just just hits a button and goodbye puppy like i was heartbroken but that uh, i think that's the future it's where we're headed are you telling me the employees were twins yeah i didn't notice that two different sets of identical twins yeah on the, the, the animals i missed that yeah. yeah probably clones themselves so th- this this animal technology is definitely being used on humans and this is vite technology vite was messing with this technology in 1985 and it was mentioned that he did this and then the the genetic fruit growing right. were his two fields of business we didn't see for sure whether it was a vite lab or a true lab but i guess a vite lab is a true lab now right yes Yes. Cynthia knows the hat signifies Wade's anxiety and tells him the pills are nostalgia, which are memories in pill form, which are banned for causing psychosis. We'll get into this later in the PDpedia section. Cynthia asks if he got them from a woman, clearly prying into Wade's personal life. I never said I got them from a lady. Did you get them from a lady? You have your pick of good women, so why do you keep getting mixed up with the ones that are just going to kick you in the balls? I picked you. You're a good woman. And for seven years, I tried to convince you that I wasn't going to run off with your clothes and leave you naked all by yourself. 
seven years of bad luck. And this wine was just so perfect on so many levels. Broken mirrors caused seven years of bad luck. Wade's origin story was chock full of broken mirrors. He himself is a broken mirror. Yeah, that's a really good, that's a really good analogy, Anthony. I liked that. Mm. And then the goddamn careless whisper comes in. They use, <laughs> a different version, they keep, though. Like, well, we got times. three different. Yeah. We get, they yeah. keep you out the episode, man. I think there uh, are four different versions. Yeah, yeah. There's a uh, two instrumentals, the George mm-hmm. Michael, and then some woman singing it at yeah. once. That was the least impress- impressive version of it, actually. But the writing in that scene and the acting in that scene and how much you get about their marriage and their relationship in that brief little thing, that's, again, that's really good writing and outstanding acting on those two. I don't know the woman who plays Cynthia, but I, yeah, I was really impressed. But you didn't like the the flashback, the the quick cut to young Wade. Well, there were there was a series of, of quick cuts throughout the episode that was clearly a directorial style and it really felt insulting to the audience like you're not yeah. going to get what I'm I didn't saying get right that now. That either. Yeah, yeah, I didn't so, get that either. We didn't yeah. need the like so obvious like by the way yeah. this is exactly Remember what this we're moment? Here. Yeah, <laughs> from earlier in the episode, this big gigantic moment we showed you. <laughs> Like, Huge traumatizing reveal. I thought maybe Jean-Marc Vallée had come in to di- guest direct an episode because <laughs> that's his style. Is just, to, but he does it a little more artistically, and it does. It's not as obvious what he's doing with it. But yes, just a just a flash an earlier scene that that seemed to be for the noobs. <laughs> it was strange. maybe maybe Shoot. that's it. Yeah, I, I didn't care for it. So yeah, Wade leads an extra-dimensional anxiety group therapy session. There's a pamphlet with a kitten looking forlornly into a window that we see later on the PDpedia. One of the people speaking says that genetic trauma has caused even people who were born after the DIE to be affected. So he was born 10 years later, but because his mom was in the psychic blast zone, he still has traumatic memories of the squid. A woman named Renee walks in. Wade greets her with a friend of Nemo's. Nemo from 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. His nemesis was a giant squid. It also connects to the title. Oh, nice. And once again, the HBO recycling program in full effect, Jake. <laughs> yeah, also Sons of Anarchy. Paul Malcolmson, the hot-tempered whore, Trixie from Deadwood, who we last saw in the Deadwood movie launching profanities at Mr. Hurst. Yeah. She comes in and Wade is obviously entranced by her and can't stop looking at her but (laughs) wade claims that he is no longer afraid he contradicts dr manhattan's famous line and says that this will end there is a light at the end of the tunnel and careless whisper plays again then in the parking lot renee talks to him wade says the line bats do shit in tunnels (laughs) which i thought was funny and she convinces him to follow her to a bar. And then Sturgill Simpson starts singing Turtles all the way down. And you dig into that song, man. And it's it's talking about basically how there is no underlying basis or ground for existence and has all these interesting references to like drugs and um, psychedelics and, and reptile aliens and whatever. And it's it's a really perfect song. Whoever did the music coordinator for this show is just fucking brilliant. Just brilliant. So at the bar, they debate the merits of sugar and cereal over a pitcher of beer. And Wade exhibits his skill as the human lie detector. So one of my biggest questions 
coming out of this episode was is Wade's ability to read people something he obtained from the event in 1985 and being amongst all those mirrors or is it just a well-practiced skill yeah it's a good one that's a good one so we don't have many instances of powers right yeah but he seems pretty lights out i mean he he doesn't he obviously can only tell if someone is lying lying with their words yeah. <laughs> right. right not with their actions he's still very gullible right. Right. Yeah, he's not a mind reader per se. No. No, he's not reading minds. Yeah. It's like faces. Yeah. yeah. Like he reads like he understands intention, right? And he and he yeah. can he can read the autonomic responses in your eye position and yeah. your blinks, the number of blinks you make and the dilation of the pupils, all of that. He's like a living lie detector. Yeah. But you can also fool lie detectors. That's a great right. question. It hadn't occurred to me, but it's certainly possible. I was thinking for the cold open that we know that the psychic blast doesn't kill everyone because there's right. other people that survive at the carnival. Right. But it seemed to me somewhat significant that being in those mirrors protected him in some way. Yeah. 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 So maybe the way they reverbed off the mirrors... Gave him some, some sort, sort of, of thing. thing. Yeah. It's something to consider going forward. We learned that Renee is a radiologist and that her squid story, which is all that Wade is really after, comes from Steven Spielberg's classic 1992 <laughs> film, Pale Horse, uh, which is a facsimile of Schindler's List down to the, the red coloring in the black and white film. Uh, this was a little goofy, I dare say. You didn't like it? Much. <laughs> I thought it was a little goofy. I don't know. I don't know. Pale Horse is the band that yes. we talked about before. Yes. And so they were playing yeah. at Madison Square Garden. <laughs> it's like it's like the Titanic. And it is kind of funny to think of a Schindler's List-esque treatment <laughs> of a bunch of punk rockers yeah. <laughs> going to a concert on their last night alive. <laughs> right. It's like if Steven Spielberg made Cloverfield. There you go. Renee says, the only time I'm not losing my mind is when I'm watching that film or fucking. <laughs> she's a whore. And Tim Blake Nelson's face shifting from hard looking glass to soft is really affecting. He's emotionally frozen on 11-2, still screaming and still naive about women. Yeah, he hasn't grown at all in terms of women. Not at all. Ugh. It hurts a little to yeah, like it hurts watch. A, it hurts a lot. And, it's, and, and Cynthia says, you know, she says, you have your pick of women, and why do you always pick the ones with, I don't know what it is, baggage? or It wasn't baggage, but it was something. Yeah, yeah he she clearly. That they, were, they were ones with issues. Yeah. Yeah. Renee is smoking an illegal cigarette. We learned that c cigarettes are illegal in the 51 states. They kiss. Wade admits she was right. I'm not out of the tunnel. She gets picked up in a truck that drops a head of lettuce. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> There's a tonal shift. And Wade connects the dots. He pursues the cavalry truck to an abandoned department store. He pulls a metal container with a true logo out of the bed of the truck under the lettuce. This was a quick moment, and uh, I have lots of questions. They either stole it from Lady True. I think that's right. probably more likely than her funding them because they've been positioned as opposites here. Yeah. And he takes a gun from the front as Mozart's Lacrimosa plays. This is a callback to Angela and Judd's closet. It's also featured in the Big Lebowski scene where Walter claims he's seen a lot of spinals and that he would recognize a, a gold bricker. <laughs> Yep. The scene that yep. I mentioned a few podcasts back, the synergy is just beautiful right now. There's also a clock ticking. 
He goes into the department store. He finds the church set. And then a basketball appears in midair as if Ben Simmons was attempting a three-pointer. Yeah. <laughs> we did it. The cavalry is testing a teleportation portal. And he approaches, holds them at gunpoint. We learn that Renee targeted him specifically. He shoots the gun, but it's loaded with blanks. And also, they intercepted his radio, so there's no backup coming. It's just him. He gets taken to a room in front of a bank of televisions. And a member of the cavalry asks Wade about the reflector team. He says, are you even going to try to hide your voice, Senator? And Senator Keene peels off the mask. He says, oh, I just wear this for these guys. And he claims that he took leadership of the 7th Cavalry after the White Knight to prevent future events like that. And my buddy Judd did the same as the chief of police. So, Eden, I got to ask you, do we believe Joe Keene here? I don't believe him. He's shady. He's up to something. Why would he just be so honest, you know? It doesn't make any sense, especially after all of this, like... I'm doing this big secret mission thing and, and you know, no one can know. Like, it's, I, I don't know. There's something super shady about him. And of course he says, is anything true, Wade? So, yeah. I don't know, babe. I have no idea. It's it's left me in a position where I'm not sure what to believe anymore. This entire episode. It's yep. pretty artfully done. Um, I'm not mad about it, but I am just like it's hard it's hard to say at this point about anything i love senator king though by the way like as a bad guy like he's great (laughs) me too yeah he gained a lot of traction in this particular scene for me yeah i was a big fan the thing i don't get is how do you just waltz down to the seventh cavalry and be like all right i'm gonna i'm gonna run the shop now after they kill all the policemen in Tulsa. Go back to the PDPD article. Keen's father. Legacy. Was, yeah. Involved. It's part of he the 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 clan legacy, like 7th Cavalry thing that he had and that um Don Johnson's grandfather had. Yeah, he's gonna he's got connections. Well, this is a big blow to my theory that the Seventh Cavalry and the Ku Klux Klan are, are rivals here. It appears that the 7th Cavalry is a pawn in the the greater conspiracy. Yep. A pawn? I don't know about a pawn. Maybe like a knight or a rook. Well, I'm I'm saying that the 7th Cavalry is attracting attention away from people like Keen and Judd. They're using that as a diversion to accomplish what they want. Yes. Okay. Yes. Yeah. I would absolutely agree. Yeah, and maybe a diversion away from True as well. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm thinking they're, they're aligned. They're going to serve a function. Knowing what we know now, it seems like these groups are all aligned. Against Vite. I don't know. Well, Vite's yeah, out of the picture, yeah. so it can't be against Vite. A lot of questions still. I, I'm still not sure what I'm buying here. Keen being involved with the 7th Cavalry makes a lot of sense after the, the fake assassination attempt. But I'm not buying that he just walked in after the fact. He was either always involved. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm with you in terms of he was always involved. And this is a story he's, he's selling right now. Or he walked into the Cavalry with the same uh, video of Vite that he shows to, to Wade and shows the 7th Cavalry and galvanizes their action. Because one of the things that the Cavalry believed uh, that was in Rorschach's journal was that Vite was responsible. That's the facts. That's what's actually happened. That's what Rorschach wrote about. So that's what the, the readers of the journal believe. And so obviously Keen came to this realization 
after seeing this video. And so that's where he and the seventh cavalry are aligned is on that point there. Right. So we learned the portal is a CX-924 teleportation window, which is the same window used by some company on 11.2 that I'm guessing was blamed for it, but that actually you know, wasn't responsible. Wade fears that they're going to drop another squid on Tulsa, and Keen gives one of the best meta lines of the episode, come on, where's the originality in that? No, no, we're going to do something new. <laughs> this is not just a retread of the graphic novel. They're not just going to drop another squid. Come on, guys. Come on, Panda. So perfect. You conspiracy theorists out there getting led in all the wrong directions. So Keen asked Wade to serve up Angela to Lori so he doesn't have to kill her and her whole fucking family. <laughs> then shows him a videotape he pirated from the appropriations committee on a 30 screen grid. I leave it entirely in your hands, says Keen, which is quoting the very last line of the graphic novel from the editor of The New Frontiersman to his schlubby assistant, Seymour, before he plucks Rorschach's journal out of the pile of submissions. Yep. Hello, Robert. Adrian Vike here. Assuming my instructions have been followed to the letter, today is January 21st, 1993, and you were just inaugurated. Allow me to be amongst the very first to say congratulations, President Redford. Sir, I am recording this message on November 1st, 1985, seven years in your past. How could I predict that you would be elected president with such incredible accuracy? Because I didn't predict it. I planned it. Here, In 85, the end is nigh. Nuclear holocaust between the United States and Russia is imminent. Fortunately, I planned for this too. And the only way to stave off mankind's extinction is with a weapon more powerful than any atomic device. That weapon is fear. And I, Mr. President, am its architect. In 24 hours' time, That's seven years ago for you. An extra-dimensional monster will materialize in Manhattan, unleashing a psychic blast that kills half the city's population and traumatizes millions more. Yet the monster will not have come from another dimension at all. Will it come from me? A hoax, Mr. President. An elaborate, meticulously engineered hoax to save the world. Now, the hard part, what's next? The transition won't start immediately. The world will need time to heal. And, of course, I'll have to maintain the peace with additional small-scale extra-dimensional events. But now, I'm sure as you watch this, mankind is ready for change. I envision a stronger, loving world committed to caring for the weak, reversing environmental ruin, and cultivating true equality. I know you share these values. That's why I'll do all I can and why I did all I could to get you elected. But this will only work if you willingly become my partner, Mr. President. My partner in building a utopia. But first, I'll need to earn your trust, and you 
undoubtedly have questions. If you'll indulge me for the next few hours, I think I have some answers. So, let's dive in, shall we? It is a video of Adrian Veidt in 1985 speaking to Robert Redford in 1993. I wish that we had gotten to watch the subsequent hours (laughs) that he recorded for Redford. And we learn that Veidt's master plan not only accounted for the events of the graphic novel, but also the aftermath. And Veidt asked for a partner in building a utopia. So, Jake, this is one of the biggest info dumps, comic book stuff to the show. So what did you think of this delivery? I loved watching Jeremy Irons deliver this story. I was still a little confused as to how it was all coming together. And more than anything, I'm just confused about what's even happening. (laughs) (laughs) Coming out of this episode... I was really like, what is going on? You know, I felt like I had a handle on what might be the premise that we were supposed to latch on to. And now I'm I'm just more confused than ever. I'm, I feel somewhat in the dark. After this video, it's, it's kind of revealed how intensely political Veidt's actions were from the comic book. That's the slant that this show has added on to what he did right because the the whole goal of the graphic novel was peace right we'll we'll drop the squid russia and usa will all unify against a common enemy which is an external enemy meaning so we can band together globally not just nationally globally Right. To not blow each other the fuck up. Right. And that worked. That's how the comic book ends. Right. I did it. He jumps up. He says, I did it. And then no, everyone is paralyzed to speak out about it because it did work. And saying right. what actually happened would undo any of the positive things that did come from it. What the show has done now with the whole Redford thing and the blue wave in 1992 is saying that Vite also planned to take back the country from Richard Nixon and the Republican Party and get a a leftist government in place and essentially set up the world that we have now. And so now the 7th Cavalry is allied with Joe Keene, who's a Republican future presidential candidate, to take it back once again. To the right. To the right. So Vite was in the U.S.? He he's an American. He okay. he hung out in Ant- oh, Antarctica a lot. He did. So he's not just trying to create peace. He's also a liberal. Yes, intensely so. And that's what we've learned from a lot of the supplemental materials here. Okay. And from this video is that this was always an extension of his plan, which is an interesting way to take it. So it's a socialist utopia, effectively. Essentially, yes. Yeah. That's what he's looking for. But also, he's an intense capitalist, so I don't know how that fits into it either. Because he monetizes every goddamn thing (laughs) that he's ever owned. His character in the show doesn't read like a leftist liberal socialist. Now, granted, he's just trying to escape and get back to whatever he wants to get back to. He's (laughs) post-politics. Yeah. Out there. So speaking of Adrian Veidt, he has amassed a large group of Crookshanks and Phillipses to help him out now. He's made a new suit 
and loads himself into the catapult and launches himself out of the prison. And Damon Lindelof has confirmed that we are on Europa, one of Jupiter's moons. Oh, okay. So it was Jupiter, not Mars. Yes, it's not Mars. Okay. And he gets to work rearranging four years worth of frozen bodies of his servants, actually maybe five years worth, (laughs) into a message that reads, save me for a satellite to see. As Veidt celebrates the same way he did in the graphic novel, I did it! (laughs) He is yanked back into the prison by the game warden. And the prison has no hard boundaries, only a sort of holographic barrier, kind of like stepping into Narnia. Yeah. You can't see it on the surface of the moon, but it's there. And when he comes back in, it's like by some (laughs) dense trees in the forest. This clearly the only thing that we know of that has the technology to do this is Dr. Manhattan. So the game warden, who is in fact a Phillips with a mustache, derides Adrian. And he responds by saying that their god has abandoned them. This is obviously a reference to Dr. Manhattan, who wanted to create his own civilization. And this could very well be what that turned out to be. For whatever reason, it seems like a shittier job to me than he would do yes yeah but with adrian's contempt for the the phillips and the crookshanks and the way he also has contempt for dr manhattan it's it's pretty obvious at this point that this is manhattan's prison yeah there's an amazing smash cut of the game warden saying no mercy straight to a product test for mercy perfume yet another version of careless whisper (laughs) underscores wade's montage And then he goes back to the office, and Panda has a theory, Eden. (laughs) Panda thinks Dr. Manhattan is Hooded Justice. I love Panda. It's the best. I was expecting way more Panda. I know. You told us us to brace ourselves for Panda screen time. I want more Panda screen time. Yeah. We did have a Panda on the cover of the Watchtower pamphlet that Wade had at the beginning. Yeah. Why the panda? Panda's theory is that Dr. Manhattan is hooded justice. This is another meta moment here, mocking fan theories in general. Yeah. Right. I think it's important to note that we can't forget Will said, what if I'm Dr. Manhattan in episode two? Yeah. So it's kind of winking back on itself here. Yeah. Wade is truly a broken man at this point. The event he spent his entire life fearing and worrying about is a hoax. He asks Angela, is anything true? And then tells Angela the pills are nostalgia, knowingly sets her up with the bugged cactus. So he's doing the cavalry's bidding here. And Lori comes out of her office and arrests Angela, but not before she chugs the entire bottle of nostalgia pills. Angela's wild. (laughs) Oh my God. She's wild, man. Go, Angela. I don't know if this necessarily counts as a cliffhanger, but... As a setup for the next episode, this is one of the best setups ever. <laughs> totally. We basically know she's going to go back in time. Yeah, the previews, the previews for the next episode are amazing. So. She didn't watch the commercial about all the side effects. Clearly not. Wade arrives home, leaves his hat in the car, and throws his now meaningless security system in the garbage before reconsidering and taking it back. And then a van of cavalry arrived with guns drawn. Now that's a cliffhanger. Yeah. yeah. Was it? Guns or bats? It was guns. I thought a giant shotgun. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I have a question, a major question that I could not, I don't know if I missed something. If this whole thing is a hoax, the squid was a hoax. 
Well, the story was a hoax. The squid did happen. Okay. But, Not a hoax by Jade standards. But no, right. but it's it's a hoax in that the squid did not come from another dimension. The squid right. just got dropped onto them. Why are we still raining squid? Because somewhere in there, Adrian says, I had to keep, keep uh, up the story. Keep these, the story going. So that's why there's these devices, these things still happening. Adrian yeah. sets something up that dumps squids 20 times a year, you know. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. So there's that always was, because yeah. one of the I mean one of the things they don't exactly say this, but one of the things that does happen is is that the further we get away from the really horrible horrible events, our collective memory softens. And so what he knew in order to keep this the effects of this working right. was that have some to keep the sort of maintain right, the threat. Right. And then people go, oh, yeah. So no, no war with the Soviet Union. OK, we'll all be friends. Yeah. Right. Perpetuating the lie. Right. OK. So presumably the cavalry are just coming here to close out a loose end. But like, why, though, that I don't understand why they would after why, why go through all the trouble of showing him the video? Was the purpose just to get Angela into the custody of the FBI? That seemed to be the only reason. Yes. He wanted Angela out of the way because of the thing that's going to be happening any day now. Remember, Will said in three days she will oh, find out she will that's hate. Right. OK. I think it's going to be the lettuce going going bad there oh you. yeah i mean has anyone found a fridge yet like yeah. there's a thing that's going to come and everything's going to come together and then yes that's where dr manhattan's going to show up and a hard rain is going to fall and i don't know what the hell else is going to happen <laughs> and vite's going to crash into the earth <laughs> really hard to know what where we're going at yeah. this point yeah, yeah. No. but I anything really, could like, still happen correct absolutely i really i mean that episode Flipped everything on its head. Although we already knew this, so we didn't. We we the, what we learned was that Keen's involved in the Seventh Cavalry, which you'd already expected anyway. But the fundamental truth we already knew. Right. More of the veil has been pulled back, so we can see more of the actual underlying stuff of what's going on. But we've still got lots of questions. And then there's the question of why Blake? Why bring her in? Yeah. Well, because she's a direct, direct tie in to Dr. Manhattan. There's there's something there. So Keen wants her. Yeah. Keen wants her there for a reason. Maybe yep. they want to destroy Dr. Manhattan. Uh, you can't. Can't. You can't, can't destroy him. Plus, he's already been gone. You know, like they're, they're, whatever they're going to do is going to bring him back. He right. doesn't care anymore. Yeah. It's not really. What's his motivation for bringing her in i think he needs her to get to true and to will oh so you yeah. see them as not aligned right now there's the cavalry and keen and there was judd mm -hmm. and there's their machinations and then there's true and will on the other side we're also saying TikTok. TikTok. who are counting down to something as well so there's there's two simultaneous things being planned yeah See, yeah. you don't think they're one thing being planned. I don't think they're one thing. We do see the true box in the back of the truck. They just happen to be on an escalating timeline that's going to collide at the same moment. And neither one knows about the other. Or I think that Will and True know about the cavalry. Okay. And that's why they killed Judd was to put these events in motion. Okay. Oh, okay. So they're right. forcing so so hands. so the insidious conspiracy is keen in the cavalry. Yes. Okay. Yeah, 
think. Then there's the dynamic between Lady True and possibly Dr. Manhattan and Vite. Okay. Yeah. So that's kind of the the prongs, right? Like they're also going to have to contend with that at some point. Okay. So I was really bummed out because our reign of cracking eggs has slowed down. <laughs> there weren't any eggs in this episode, just can of beans. Uh, but don't worry, the entire plot of the second episode of The Mandalorian centered around an enormous hairy egg. I heard about this hairy egg, yeah. Laid by some sort of space rhino. And then when he gets the egg, the Jawas break it open and just can't stop force feeding themselves the raw yolk. That good? Jawas are fucking gross. <laughs> you can't make an omelet without breaking a couple eggs. So it's Easter egg time. Just give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Wait, wait. I worry what you just heard was, give me a lot of bacon and eggs. What I said was, give me all the bacon and eggs you have. Do these eggs. Let's crack these eggs. <laughs> uh, one thing that I, I wrote down that I've been reading in the graphic novel, because as we know, Hooded Justice is mentioned in just about every episode, and who is Hooded Justice is definitely one of the biggest questions, even though we feel like we've answered it. So prior to 1960, Adrian Veidt looked into Hooded Justice's disappearance when researching his crime fighter predecessors, he learned that Edward Blake, the comedian, attempted to unearth Hooded Justice shortly after his disappearance, but reported failure. And Vite suspected that Blake had found and killed Hooded Justice, but reported failure to his superiors, although he admitted that he could not prove this. Right. So Vite is aware of Hooded Justice, and if Jeremy Irons and Louis Gossett Jr. have a scene together by the end of the season, I would not be surprised at all. Cool. The Doomsday Clock is mentioned on the radio at the very beginning of the episode. The cold open features a carnival in New Jersey, similar to the one attended by John Osterman and his first wife before he became Dr. Manhattan. Watchtower is a Jehovah's Witness publication. There's a kid reading the Black Freighter that has the advertisement for the Vite Method on the back. There are Pale Horse posters. We meet a not-top gang member. And then the New York advertisement features a musical based on Robert Oppenheimer, the father of the atomic bomb, instead of Hamilton. That's so great. <laughs> We've got Oppenheimer. So great. So great. There's also the Promethean cab company in the background, which was featured in the graphic novel. Wade eats beans just like Rorschach. Smileyos look like the comedian's pin. Nostalgia is the same name as Adrian Veidt's perfume from the graphic novel. The wall of TVs that Wade watches, Veidt's message on, is a callback to Veidt's massive TV bank that he would watch in Karnak. So Jake, he would put on different channels on every screen, watch everything at once, change channels randomly every 100 seconds, and uh. he would use this to deduce what investments to make from the, <laughs> the general trends that he would see. He'd see like, oh, there's a lot of sexual content in these advertisements like right. invest in viagra and stuff like right. that <laughs> and you would say i need information information in its most concentrated form and his servant says do you not fear that you might become drunk upon such concentrated a draft of knowledge and he says i don't think so indeed it is the most sobering potion that i know mm. Vite using the dead phillips and crookshanks to arrange the message on europa is similar to the character in the black freighter using dead bodies as his life raft. Yeah, that's a brilliant, brilliant analysis. Mm. Mm. So he was talking to Dr. Manhattan 
with that message, right? Well, he was he was doing it for the benefit of the satellite that was that was coming overhead, and so he wanted uh, he wanted the world to know that he was on Europa. But if we're doing the timeline here, so this was year five. Yeah, there's no way that a spaceship would be able to get to him and back in a few years. So the only way he's getting back to Earth is if Doctor Manhattan comes to pick him right. up. Right, right, right. All right, there were three documents on the PDpedia this week. We've got a memo, another memo from Dale Petey about American Hero Story. It's called More Infernal Affairs. He criticizes the show for reckless fictionalization. I love that meta-commentary as well. (laughs) Dale Petey is the voice of every true Watchmen fan out there. He wants to clarify the events of Sally Jupiter's sexual assault by Edward Blake. We do learn, this is new information, that the old Silk Spectre, Sally Jupiter, had a one-woman show performed on regional cruise ships called Baby This Is Tops, where she talked about her life, and she says Hooded Justice never showed his face and was very, very careful about what he said about himself. Just underlining this over and over again. Lori joined the FBI as part of her plea deal, which was kind of teased in the, the deposition we got. And then PD says that JT March III, the creator of American Hero Story, is too focused on Hooded Justice, portraying him as a true savior with a troubled conscience. And the sexual encounter between Hooded Justice and Captain Metropolis is meant to deliberately echo Jupiter's sexual assault, which is interesting because it's the same location and like positioning as the way the comedian Mm. raped Lori's mom. Okay. But we never knew that this sex scene happened. So this is a fictionalization within the world that this fake director (laughs) took liberties with. It's It's really too much. And then the final thing is he says, uh, although it was good to see LBGTQAI positive (laughs) content. So they've added AI to LGBTQ, which is just a lot. And so PD PD continues to just be disgusted with the way that people are, are fictionalizing his favorite subject matter. Next up is an advertisement, a print ad for Nostalgia from 2007. It's made by True Industries. Eden, this reminded me a lot of Maniac. And I'm sure that we'll think that next episode. Yeah. Because it takes your memories, turns them into a customized psychoactive compound. Definitely. Let your best yesterday lead you to a better tomorrow. Definitely. This is definitely Maniac vibes. Each tablet can contain one to five memories. Oh. <laughs> There's so, five memories per pill. A whole fucking lot Ooh. of memories. 20 pills. <laughs> Hundred memories stacked on top of each other. Pleasurable Shit. experiences could develop addictive behavior, just like maniac. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> wow. And then, very importantly, never—and I mean this—never take someone else's nostalgia. Dangerous road. Ingesting nostalgia made for another individual erodes the boundary between self and other, and catalyzes hyperactive empathy or extreme fight-flight responses. It causes profound aphasia, temporal disorientation, emotional triggering, and paranoia, and may also produce lasting conditions and disorders like mania, hypersensitivity, lingering hallucinations, confused or altered consciousness, dissociative fugue, psychosis, schizophrenia, and permanent memory or identity loss. And all I can say is next episode is going to be a fucking doozy i'm very excited and then the last item on the pdpedia is the the kitten looking into the window pamphlet that wade puts out at the meeting 
It's from the Veidt Institute for Extra Dimensional Studies. So, of course, Veidt profiting off of the people that he tortured. Yeah. It's a pamphlet for stress stress conditions caused by November 2nd, 1985. It diagnoses the symptoms of the trauma that we mostly see in Wade throughout this episode. We learn that squid showers occur 25 times a year on average. It's estimated that 50 million people suffer from extra-dimensional anxiety. And this is important. This was the most important thing that I saw. One of the psychotherapy options listed is eye movement desensitization and reprocessing. EMDR involves thinking about EDA-related images and feelings that distress you while doing rapid eye movements. And this sounds a lot like the machine that Wade has to interrogate people. Mm, It sure does. Oh, yeah. So I don't think that he invented it. I think that Veidt invented it for this anxiety. Yeah, he adapted it for his use. That's pretty cool. Tons of info, as usual. Before we close out this episode, you got any final thoughts for me, Jake? Well, it was a sad episode. You know, more than anything, it just was a sad and lonely story. You know, it's been interesting, the shift into these kind of POVs. Yes, and this is very much adapting the style of the graphic novel where once you get going with the main plot, Mm -hmm. then you take a a whole chapter and you focus on Dr. Manhattan or on Rorschach one by one. And now we're going to get it again this coming week. And it's going to be Angela learning about Will. And I suspect we're going to spend about 48 of the 60 minutes inside of her psycho trip. Damon said that there's one episode where uh-huh. there won't be an Adrian Veidt sequence. Ah, It has to be this next one. This, one. this yeah. would be the one. And what did we make of the space they were in? This warehouse where they've built this church space. It kind of looked like uh, an abandoned Sears that had been turned into a gemstone megachurch. <laughs> yeah. The fake church set was a classic misdirect, misdirect. right? Like they absolutely. Especially yeah. with the way Lori's like, well, we have nothing to go on except for this church. So let's go to every... One of the 5,000 churches in Tulsa. I think they're a little smarter than we thought. I think that's obvious with the revelation that Keen is involved. Well, that's the thing. Yeah, absolutely. And it's. I feel like the whole 7th Cavalry is in itself a red herring. They're not the people in the Nixon trailer park. They're radiologists and politicians. Yeah, exactly. Experimenting with teleportation portals. They're, they're not as... They're not rednecks, as indicated, I suppose, by the weaponry that was used right away in the first episode. I like want to know more about the White Knight. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know how it was executed. I want to know who else survived. That's really probably my biggest personal question right now, because I feel like that's important as fuck. It's just like a such a starting point for everything. So I agree. And who who didn't kill Angela? Who didn't kill Angela? Why did they let her live? Yes. You know? Because it, it seems like deliberate. And what was the accident Angela's husband had? Yeah, mm-hmm. that too. <laughs> There's these lingering questions that might be meaningful. I mean, obviously, these memories, we're going to learn. We're going back to Black Wall Street. We're going to learn he's hooded justice next episode. That's for sure. You think that's the key? There's no way they don't finally give us some clarity on that. So you think we're going to track Will from his 
early childhood in Tulsa up through his time in New York. That has to be the way they do it because like True and uh, Will were talking about last episode, it's a cute way to to do the reveal, yeah. to, to info dump. Yeah, He's kind of been dancing around it. So if he has to tell her that in some way, that has to be an important part of the revelation. And there's no better way to do it than with a, a time-traveling psychotic episode. Because yeah. just telling her would be too reasonable well that's why we got the scene with true's daughter when true's daughter was having her memories about vietnam she was being she's being dosed with nostalgia maybe she's on a nostalgia drip yeah that's definitely must be Ooh. yeah should be good should be good. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the TV Book Club. For my guests, Jake Hoy, Eden Liu, and Walter Mays, I'm Anthony Mays, and we'll see you next week. Bye.